Uh, take your Bible this morning. We're going to be in our study of 1 Timothy. Uh, we're going to cover uh, the last couple of verses before we head into uh, a Christmas series that is coming. We'll take a bit of a break, and then we'll come back uh, at a later time to the book of 1 Timothy. Uh, but I think as you're turning there, I think it's fitting as we get into God's word this morning, let's have a word of prayer, ask the Lord to, to be with us, to help guide us in our understanding this morning. So pray with me if you would. Father, Lord, we're thankful to be here. Lord, it's a, what a remarkable blessing to see the fruit of the inward work of the Spirit of God. Lord, we thank you for Corey and Colin and what you're doing in their lives, Lord. I thank you that, Lord, as we experience these ordinances that you have displayed in the life of the body, that they excite us to see that the Spirit of God is active in the lives of the body. Lord, you're, you're doing far more than we could ever truly see. Lord, we pray that as we come to the text of Scripture this morning, that again, that you would enlighten our minds, help give us an appreciation for the value of your word. Lord, I pray that uh, we'll have clarity, that we can walk away that in, a, in such a way that we're challenged, that we can, we can think through your, uh, your, your sovereign words Lord, so that we apply them to our lives, that we, we live them out each and every day. Lord, I pray that you'd be with the time and bless the time that we have together this morning. In your word, in your name we pray, amen. Well, I'm very thankful as Pastor Ben uh, worked through these last couple of texts. Uh, I was hoping that maybe he would just kind of sneak in this particular text so that I didn't have to preach this on modesty, but he didn't do that. But I want us to talk a little bit this morning, and you'll notice the title of the sermon, Motives and Modesty. And if you begin to understand the world, it doesn't take very long, does it, to live in our culture or any given culture at any time, read a history book, read Roman culture or Greek culture, and live in the Western culture. And what will you find that there will be a struggle with? clothing, or lack thereof. The reality is, is that when we think about what we wear, don't in your mind believe that somehow this is an off-limit topic to God. God reserves the right and has the authority and the sovereignty to even give us instruction about how we think about what we wear on different occasions. I can remember thinking through these things as, as uh, having my young children, both boys and girls in the home, from the time they were small, teaching them about forms of modesty. And back when there was a time when people went to the mall to buy things instead of online to Amazon, you actually had to go to a store to get something. And we would be walking in the mall and of course, uh, our daughters understood various components of modesty and they would catch something or someone who was, had a level of immodesty or saw something in a store window that was immodest. And I would hear this, uh, this statement from this little voice, boys, look to the left. <laughs> and so from the time that I can remember as a parent trying to instruct my kids in a culture what they would see 
things that I didn't want them to see, having to guard their eyes, being mindful to my children and my gals, uh, how they would wear and why they would wear it. Now, this is not uh, a different, by the way, extension from what Paul is doing. We covered this section and he talked about prayer and why we should begin to pray and how we should pray and who we should pray for. And you notice at the very end of this section in 1 Timothy 2, we're going to cover this morning these two verses. And I'm going to read verse 8 along with uh, 9 and 10 as well. Follow me, uh, follow with me as I read these. He says, I desire that in every place that men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel and modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Now he's not doing something different, so don't get your mind attract, in the sense uh, attracted to this reality like all of a sudden he shifts gears entirely. Paul is all about, in the book of Timothy, expressing this reality of the life and orderliness of the church. You remember this verse in 1 Timothy 3, don't we? I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things so that you, if I delay, you might know how you ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar, the buttress of the truth. Now what he's doing here as he develops this section is, is saying, what is church about? And what should church be like? And now he unfolds. Well, one of the ways that it should be like, it should be a church that prays. Why? Because prayer is in the context of worship. Why did you come here this morning? Was it to see friends? Was it to get a meal afterward? It was, maybe it was a hope to to get lunch and maybe someone will ask and pay for you to come to lunch. The, the point of the church is the worship of the living God and the study of the living God's words. That's the whole point of why church is what it is according to the Bible. So that when we come, we can hear an idea of what God wants us to know and how God wants us to behave. Well, notice this connection. He wants men to lift up holy hands, not without anger and, and without quarreling. Here's what we want to say in worship. Worship is all about the heart, isn't it? Why was praying with anger? So just so that you can see the transition. Why was praying with anger? If, if, if you can even do that, if you've ever tried to do that. I've tried before and it doesn't work very well. Because my heart isn't in the right place. And when I come to the church of the living God, and I'm trying to study the things of God, I cannot come with a heart that is filled with anger because I didn't get something I wanted or I'm arguing with someone, and in this case, the false teachers. So when he transitions and uses this word, likewise, he is connecting this reality Life in the body is all about the worship of the living God and the proclamation of that living God's truth to every particular generation from generation to generation. And he's now switching and saying, men, you shouldn't do this. And ladies, now here's something I want you to think about. 
And so when he moves in this way, it's very relieving to me, to some degree as a pastor, to know that as I pastor a congregation, that I'm not dealing with anything out of the ordinary, because if Paul was instructing Timothy that women should be certain ways, that I'm not out in left field saying, no one's ever spoken of this before. You hear Paul. Don't, don't begin to say to yourself things like, why is he talking about what we wear? Don't be a lady this morning. Don't be a woman this morning who is immediately assaulted with the level of the truth and begin to say, well, I mean, what is this, legalism? He's just telling me what to wear and then they're gonna say that that now is the, the dictation of all my life. And don't say to yourself, you know, couldn't Paul have just, I mean, what's his problem? He's just, does he have nothing better to do than pick apart the women's dress in the church? Or... Is there something incredibly instructive about the heart that gets displayed in what we wear? Is there something here that Paul is concerned about and, and, and is just simply a reflection of this reality in, in, in the life of the Ephesian church? Now here's what I think we, as we think about a main idea of these two verses, it's this. It's that respectable attire is a reflection of a reverent heart. Respectable attire is a reflection of a reverent heart. Which means that we have to pay attention to not just what we wear, but why we wear it. There is instruction about the heart because everything it, it, it comes out of the heart. Here's something else that I think that, that should jump out at you as you study the book of 1 Timothy. Timothy. Paul is talking to Timothy to address all kinds of false teaching. Well, a lot of theologians are asking the question, what is the Ephesian heresy? What were the components of what was going on? I think we begin to see a little bit of a flavor of some of the ways in which false teaching begins to work itself out in the life of the church. Whether it's monasticism in history, you separate yourself from everything and everyone and you live some monastic life because that's more holy, it seems to vacillate between this monastic reality and then this frivolous living in any way that you wanted and anywhere in between. There is a balance between not having to separate yourself and making sure that you're separate from the world. There is a balance that Paul is trying to strike in the life of the community. And hear this, his instruction to us about prayer, his instruction to us about respectable apparel and modesty is primarily about the worship of the living God. That is what it's about. So don't go away and think, oh, that's that church that uh, everybody has to be Amish. No, but there ought to be a thought process in your mind about why you wear what you wear. And I think as a result of this, what it tells us is that false teaching reaches far deeper and far wider in the context of the community than just the leaders. False teaching 
has its way of permeating both men and women's lives at any given moment, which is why the worship of the living God and the truth of the living God becomes Paul's central component to the entirety of the book so that when we walk away, we know that we are doing what the living God wants us to do and believing what the living God wants us to believe. And it's bearing fruit in the life of God's people in in whom he is living inside of them. This becomes so important for us as we think about these two considerations about respectable attire. And here's the first one. And you noticed it in 1 Timothy 2, verse, verse number 9. Likewise, which carries with it, by the way, this I wish, this command. Here's what you should do. This is not just a, hey, if, uh, if you think about it, and maybe this is a preference of yours. No, this is the word that Paul carries with it. Not just I wish, but you must do this in the context of this word, uh, in, in the context of worship. Likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel. Now, as we think about this this reality of respectable apparel, I think it's important that we unpack this idea of what we begin to understand, these words that are formed. And he's going to give three different categories of what respectable apparel ought to look like in the text. But respectable apparel... Is, is this kind of apparel, this, this idea of respectable has to do with your, your, your demeanor, how you carry yourself and how that's conveyed in what you choose to wear and how you choose to be seen. In fact, I would argue that clothing is such a reality to our lives, and you can even see this in our present day. For example, if you were watching the news and cataloging various components, there was a particular senator who decided to wear something to the Senate chamber and everyone else was concerned that it wasn't a suit and tie. Now think about that. The reality is, is that for our culture, clothing often became a representation of an occasion or something that was held with a level of gravity. And so we see that in our culture. We see that, different clothing for a different occasions. That doesn't mean, by the way, you can't think about respectable apparel, <clears throat> and you can't say this. Well, good, I'll have respectable apparel when I come to church, but I got six other days that I can have not respectable apparel. The life and instruction in the church is to be carried outside the church as an example and a reflection of your demeanor in Christ. So when he says, I want this to be respectable apparel, and then he uses this word, this this word for apparel is the word, and I think this helps us understand this, is the Greek word cosmio, which from which we get the English word cosmetics. And so he's saying, I want your appearance when you think about your cosmetics to be respectable. And notice in whom he is directing this towards, I want this to be respectable. Why? Because you are coming to worship the living God. And what that says to me is something like this. 
are, it forces a question. Would you be okay with having Christ present and being immodest? Would you have no problem with that? I venture to say that if, if, if in many occasions, in many people's lives, in many ladies' lives, that if Christ were present, I think you'd see some of this. Like, okay, we need to hold this down. We need to make sure we're careful. Because there is a holy presence of a living God, and the point is not necessarily whether that's fashionable. God is less concerned about your ability, ladies, to be fashionable. And that's not saying anything about not being okay with certain fashions, as long as the fashions are consistent with the respectable apparel that the truth conveys. But you really do have to ask yourself, is God okay with what I'm wearing? And that's a, that's a question that I think Paul addresses in the life of this Ephesian church to the ladies primarily because there was something going on. This respectable apparel goes far beyond in the conveying of respectability, goes far beyond just, okay, make sure you have this length of dress or this particular form of clothing. What he's trying to convey of what is respectable is that your heart is in the right place and therefore it is conveyed by the right means. It is appropriated that your heart is doing something and the fruit of it is conveyed in your choice selection of why you wear what you wear and even what you wear. And so this is significantly, significantly important to God because our demeanor of what is going on in our heart, according to Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart with all diligence for out of it flows the issues of life. This idea of respectable attire is now displayed in three different words. Modesty, self-control, and then he gives these statements, not with this, not with this, and not with this. So let's take the first one. What does it mean to be modest anyway? Well, turn on the news and go to most places and I can tell you what it's not. I can tell you what you're not supposed to do. Take a look at the world Take a look at the world's fashion. Take a look at the world's ways. And even within the Christian community, what is calibrated in fashion often gets handed down from where? From the entertainment industry. Of which, by and large, is a very godless orientation that is not concerned about the worship of the living God. Right? I think we could agree with that. That this kind of godless, unbelieving society is marked and always has been by a flavor of fashion that doesn't often tend to move towards modesty. And that's true of the Greek culture. It's true of Roman culture. It is true of even our Western culture. And everyone seems to know and I've traveled around a number of different places around the world. And what's interesting to me is that every place that I went, and, and as I was speaking, they knew what places not to go to because they would see women dress in inappropriate ways in every single culture around the world. It became a marker of people who 
were godless. Now, what is this component of modesty? Well, it bears this one, this major emphasis, and it's the idea of a sense of shame. It carries that this idea of attire is a sense, it has to have a sense of shame or propriety to it. Now, perhaps in the past you've heard maybe someone say something like this, because this is what modesty, the idea of the word, is seeking to convey. Someone walks in, a lady walks in, and she has uh, very revealing or very clothing that depicts a very style of life, and someone says something like this. Does that girl have no shame? What, what is wrong with her? She is completely shameless. I guess she's just gonna, she's just gonna be all out there with that. Modesty is all about the conveying of having a perspective of shame. We shouldn't walk around in a sense where we are shameless about what we reveal, whether it's men or women. There should be a reality that when people see a godly Christian woman, that they can begin to deduce that some of the reasons why they wear what they wear is because of who they are in Christ. That ought to be something that flows out of their life. That ought to be something that flows out of each and every young woman to older woman as they live and breathe in this culture and live in the midst of the body. Now, why was clothing? Why do we express it, by the way, uh, of a natural covering? Why, why, in some sense, I think it begs the question, does it not? Uh, why are we wearing clothes? <laughs> like, if you weren't, we wouldn't be here. Well, we wear clothes. When did this happen? Doesn't it take you back to the very Genesis account of when man and woman were created in the image of God and all of a sudden bearing that image used their faculties as image bearers to defy and distrust and rebel, in the, uh, uh, rebel against the living God and the living God's instruction. And now all of a sudden when 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 this holy God comes on the scene in Genesis and all of a sudden, I just think this is so interesting and not for a double entendre, but it exposes them, does it not? When they came out with coverings of leaves, they gave themselves away. Because what's the first thing that was said? Um, why, you, why, do you, why do you hiding from me and... Why do you have this, why did you sew these fig leaves together? Like, if, if that wasn't already in Genesis going, uh, yeah, we did something wrong. I don't know what is. And it immediately impacted the reality that now their life moved from naked and unashamed to naked and ashamed. And God, in his sovereignty to depict a level of covering, gives them animal skins to cover their body, knowing that this would be symbolic of the way that God would cover their ultimate rebellion. But it was also a reality now in the life of a fallen world with people of a depraved mind. You couldn't have people walking around without any clothes on and, and then say, 
well, I don't think that men are going to have a problem with lust, but everybody's walking around naked. God knew the depraved mind. He knew that it would be a depiction of covering, but also a necessity because of how the mind of sensuality in, 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 depraved, in a depraved nature would, would function. While one thing continues to remain is that we live in a culture and we are born sinners and we are gonna have to experience the reality that there is shame. Our, our idea of clothing and what we wear ought to be something that is not like the world and shameless. What is so interesting as we think about the world and we think about the context of modesty, is it not? God decides to sovereignly cover the body because of a number of different reasons, protections, symbolic, all of these things. And the unbelieving world is trying to live shamelessly and live with as few things as they can wear as possible. Like where we're supposed to live with a sense of shame because your clothing that you wear, is it not the reality that when you got up and thought, I'm gonna wear clothes today. Like, that's probably a thought you have every day, isn't it? I'm going to wear something. Or you have that terrible dream that you're not wearing something. And you realize clothes are important. Well, why are they important? Because they remind you and I of a sense of being uncovered before the eyes of a holy God who is shame-filled because of our sin that we are born with. And we cannot... We are not supposed to live in a way that is shameless. And our clothing ought to be able to reflect that reality. Well, we get that at the very beginning because this is what happened to a fallen nature, to a depraved mind. And we see that, do we not? In Romans chapter 1, verse 24, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. Well, that matched the first century perspective of people. If you look at the, verse, uh, the, the book of Corinthians and have done any study in the book of Corinthians, you understood that there was this idea of the Corinthian girl. And they didn't mean something good about that, by the way. It was a person whose heart was morally loose and it was reflective of the morally loose attire. That reality is conveyed even in Romans as he says, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, and they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. This is a culture where as unbelievers... We have to look differently, and I will appeal to you, ladies and young ladies, our dress, because of the change in our heart, your dress and everyone's dress has to look reflective of the worship of the true and living God. You can't get upset. Don't sit, please, and sit there and think, oh, I've got to endure this. How much time do I have to hear this? God is very pointed about drawing out our hearts and he leaves nothing out of reach. Please don't say to yourself, well, God, you can have this part of me, this part of me, this part of me, but I don't really want to deal with this. I like the way I look and I like the sense of fashion that I have. And you never ask yourself the question, what's your heart doing? 
And is it reflective in what I choose to wear and when I choose to wear it? Now let me offer a word of caution because if we don't do this, at some point, this idea of legalism and what you wear and why you wear it, you have this, it may have a tendency in this thought to go, you know what, I can tell exactly what's going on in the heart of a person and I can know what they're thinking based upon how they come in the door wearing whatever they wear. Word of caution, no you can't. You are not God You do not know their heart. You do not know their background. You do not know what what they have taught or not been taught. There is a sense of grace. There is a sense of which we're saying, okay, we need to be patient before we just don't jump after this. This is a reason why uh, we don't have a ministry of the modesty militia that stands at the door going, yes, you pass, no, go home, then come back. We don't do that. Because what are we concerned about? We want to get to the heart. And what Paul is saying to these women in the, in the Ephesian church and instructing Timothy to tell them is, their clothing is alerting you, Timothy, to a problem of the heart. Don't be afraid to address the problem of the heart. Because if you don't address the problem of the heart, then what will become of the church. You just give verbal affirmation to the truths, but you don't have to live by them. And he wants to make sure that they stay away from this. He says, it's modesty, a sense of shame. Your clothing ought to dictate that. But he says, it's also about self-control. Now, this word is used in a couple of other places, even in 1 Timothy, of the elders and the deacons to live respectable lives or lives that are filled with self-control. This carries with it the idea of moderation or a level of restriction. Well, what are you restricting when you think about what you wear? Well, Paul's instruction is to say, ladies, be modest, but be self-controlled, which means you're going to have to control your passions, You're going to have to control your desires. You can't allow certain things to weigh more heavily than they should. When you come to the body of Christ, it should be clear why you're there. And it's marked by what you wear. And that was the problem. It was at least a part of the problem that was going on as a byproduct of the false teaching in the life of the Ephesian church. It's control over your passions. Well, what does that look like? You can't just walk into any store, and I really feel bad. I have daughters too. Do you know how long it takes to find anything modest? Some of you ladies are going, yeah, you should see our shopping trips now. They are so, they take so long and so much searching. Can I just say this to you? Isn't it worth it to spend the extra time making sure that what you wear in the eyes of a holy God is modest and displays a sense of control over your passions. It's worth it. It's not because, well, we live amongst these men who can't seem to control their eyes and they need to figure themselves out so that I could have the fashion I want. No, the problem isn't men, although men are sometimes a problem. There's no doubt about that. 
There forever has been the reality that men struggle as a visual nature to see what they shouldn't see. There's a reason why Job 31.1 exists when Job, a righteous man, says, I make a covenant before my eyes not to look at a maiden. He understood out of his righteousness that there was a sense of propriety in worship in God. That is what this idea of respectable attire includes. A sense of control of the passions, a restraint, not to look like the sinful humanity that so surrounds us. And it's not just a church thing, by the way, as we said. This idea of modesty has to carry itself out into the, into the world. They ought to be able to look at you and be able to say, you know what, you dress different. <laughs> and like, that doesn't mean like you lived on Little House in the Prairie. But it means that you, what you display has a sense of Godward focus that God has to approve and God has to think about what it is that you're doing in your heart and it displays something in your life, this self-control. It also bears with it, which I thought was fascinating, this reality of chastity. This person who is chaste, this person who is pure. You see that in the list in Titus chapter 2, verse 5. Let older women teach younger women to be keepers of the home, to be pure and self-controlled. He combines the two. Self-control and purity, which why the, the word conveys a connotation in many translators' minds of the idea of modesty being something that displays a sense of chasteness or chastity. I'm saving myself. For who? Because I want to look rightly before the eyes of God and I want to save myself for the person that God has given to me. He did not want this permeating the Christian community. And as a pastor and a shepherd for years, I have dealt with various occasions where some woman and some guy who saw her and begin to start looking at her in, in wrong ways, ended up in adultery. At work, at the gym, you, could count, you can count on it. There are going to be points where you have to work hard at making sure there is a sense of decency about you. It, 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 it really displays this Proverbs 31 22 kind of woman, does it not? She makes bed coverings for herself and her clothing is fine linen and purple. This woman conveyed herself with the utmost reality of the fear of the Lord, which then was so respectable in her community, in her clan, to her husband. And, and so when we think about this, this reality of of a respectable apparel, notice that he says this last statement. Modesty, a sense of shame, self-control, your demeanor of control of your passions. It gets reflected in how you choose to wear what you wear. And it's not with braided hair, gold and pearls and costly attire. Now, I'm not gonna do this this morning like all ladies with braids stand up and get out of here. Okay, and then we get rid of the first group and all right, you, you, uh, you gold and pearl wearers, like you know who you are, get out. That's not what he's saying, is it? What he's saying is, it also, it, it cannot be with a sense of immodesty, but it also, you cannot come before the body with a sense of extravagancy. 
And the hairstyle began to display a sense of wealth and look at me. They would have braided hair, this idea in their context where they would weave gold and pearls into the style of their hair. And it was all to convey this reality of, look at me. And then and some of these ladies in the Ephesian church, and he uses this word for costly attire. Same word that's used of the, of the perfume that was broken and, and put to Jesus' feet. It was, so do I know exactly how much that dress cost? No, I don't. But it was costly. And there were women in the church who were coming with, with, with gold beads and pearls and things woven into their hair with costly attire coming from a level of affluency. And they walked in amongst churches. And what was the common nature of the church? Was it affluent people? No, it was poor people. People who didn't have enough, who were living by an agrarian culture and subsistence living. And they come walking in, and they're they they dazzling all the other women. And you can just see this, can't you, in the life of a church? Some woman walks into this, and her, she's standing by her husband, and she nudges him and goes, how come you can't afford me stuff like that? Or you got the group of the ladies standing off in the corner, and they're just huddled together going, look at her. Look at her. There she goes again. Wearing her braided hair. Look, she's just flaunting it all. Come on, girls. We're out of here. We don't want anything to do with that. You stay over on your side, and we'll stay on our side. The instruction of Timothy from Paul was to say, be, be careful that it's not immodest. Be careful that it's not so extravagant. Why? Because you're not here to flaunt you. We are here in the church and in our lives, our purposes of our lives is to flaunt the redemption of the living God, not to flaunt your flesh. That is the point that he is trying to make. And whether it's costly attire or whether it's immodest dress, it affords itself the same result, is that it takes away from the purpose from which the church gathers, to worship the living God and to hear the living God's truth. So important for us when we think about these. And I would, I would beg you, ladies, as you think about this in your life, to ask yourself the question about your respectable apparel. To be mindful of this reality. But notice his biggest concern comes in verse 10. Just so that you don't think all of a sudden he's just picking on clothing and that his whole idea is on the outward he says in verse 10, but he says, it has to be what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Now, this idea of being proper and the idea of outward appearance being a central component, was it not even for Samuel? When he went to go influence and, and pick the king and Eliab comes before him in 1 Samuel 16 and, and he's saying to himself, look at this man. He is a man's man. And what does God say to him? Don't look on the outward. I look at the heart. Ladies, please let that reinforce it in your minds. Men, please let this be reinforced in your mind. What God is seeing about you is what's going on in your heart. If you're struggling with lust, 
and you can't seem to control yourself, it's a problem in your heart. If you're wearing things you shouldn't wear that reveals things about your, your lacks in being respectable in your attire, it says something about your heart. In any direction to any gender, God wants your heart. And what we do and what we wear and how we convey ourselves in conduct reflect that reality. He is so concerned about women who were concerned, who were thinking that they were proper. Well, notice this whole phrase kind of goes together. What is proper for women who profess godliness? Well, what is this proper profession? It is, simply put, a declaration. Well, a declaration of what? A declaration of godliness. Not to, not to convey, well, Listen, uh, godliness is only about what you believe, and then you can do whatever you want with the clothing side. And I know that there are, there are so many people, and, and even at times during the years, where ladies will have said, like, don't you mess with what I'm wearing. They don't want to feel as if they are told a level of instruction about why they're wearing what they're wearing. Proper women, according to Paul, which is, by the way, according to God. Don't let that escape you, that the inspired text of the living word says something is proper and something is improper. And then you and I have a responsibility to adhere to that instruction. Well, what is proper? A woman who conveys herself with a declaration through what she wears that she is godly both on the inside and outside. That is the women that Paul says are proper in his eyes. Well, how do you know that? Because these women were all about good works. Now, does that mean, well, if I dress right, my heart's right? No. We know that that's not what the scripture teaches, but is part of a good works and the fruit of the life of faith, does it come out in what you do and what you wear? Yes. And proper women who want to declare godliness must have a focus on their faith, living it out righteously and genuinely. That's the word good. Good works is a work that is genuine. And he's reinforcing this idea of modesty, saying it must be modest, it must be good. In whose eyes? God's. And that when he takes a look at your heart and he takes a look at what you do, he is pleased with how you are living your life and conducting your demeanor and displaying to the world that my faith is not just a Sunday thing, it impacts everything. And that's how we ought to live He's saying, I like how one commentator put it, deeds trump decoration. I like that. Your genuine life of faith, living and working itself out in your conduct, trumps how you look. And so really calibrate, ladies, by this reality, because we live in a culture where we, don't you, you, you do this, right? Men do it, women do it as well. I, I think this happens, like, you're comparing yourself. To people, oh, I don't look as good as so-and-so, and I don't have what so-and-so has. And that's part of the danger of the body. 
When you come to the body and your biggest central concern is, do I look better than so-and-so? Or do they have something I don't have? You are immediately distracted from the reason why you came. And God isn't looking at that kind of worship going, yes, bring me more. He's not. He wants us to rid ourselves of that reality in our minds so that when the thing that is most central to us is living and pleasing God. So to be a woman who's living in modest, modesty with, has a heart motivation to worship the living God ought to be displayed in the life of the body. Our lives, and for you ladies, cannot just be about cosmetics and extravagance. It has to be something more important. It can't be cosmetics. It has to be about the creator. It has to be about the worship of the living God and what your desire to do and convey in your life as you think about these things. Now, I want to give you a few questions as we conclude. You think, oh, here it comes. I hope these are helpful to you. I want us to think about this. Perhaps you're a lady and you're thinking this question. Well, then how am I going to attract a man if I can't get them to look in my direction? If they're looking in your direction because you're dressed in an immodest way, you might be quite disappointed on what you catch. It cannot be about alluring men to grab the gaze of them. It has to be about your godliness. Isn't that what 1 Peter 3 says? Do not let your adorning be external, the braided hair and the putting on of gold jewelry and clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit in which in, which in God's sight is very precious. I can tell you this, ladies. You want a godly man? then present yourself as a godly woman. Because no godly man who fears the Lord wants an ungodly woman. I've told that statement to my kids for years. What you end up with will be directly connected with what you yourself are looking for for your own life. And if you're looking to have this fashionable perspective, and this says a lot to men too, by the way, because there are plenty of men who over the years and growing up around guys, they'll say, I'm gonna get myself a beauty. And you know what? I've watched men get their beauty. And you know what? Their marriage fell apart. And it was destroyed because that beauty that they saw was so morally loose that it ended up in adultery. Be careful what you convey because it might be the very thing you catch. Well, let's go on. It's like, okay, get off this one. Let's think about this. Are you evaluating the motives of your heart before you head to the closet to pick out your clothes? I hope you do, ladies. I mean, this is equally true of men, but he's specifically talking to ladies. Is there something about when you head to the closet there's got to be a heart. You bring your heart with you. That's going to be easily conveyed if you're not careful. Now, it's true. You can be wearing all the right, respectable, a parable, and hate God. But again, that's a heart problem, not a dress problem. 
God wants your heart, and your heart, if you are a professing, proper, godly woman, is not looking to display yourself in a way that is morally loose and that is different than the world that we live in. Ask yourself this. Does your wardrobe reflect worldliness and sensuality? Or does it, or a desire to worship the living God? You know, it, it's going to take longer to find stuff that's modest. It's going to, it's going to be difficult. And I've heard, I've heard many ladies and moms lament over this fact. Do you know how long we looked before we finally found blank? But we're talking about the worship of the living, holy God of heaven. It's worth our time. It's worth your effort to evaluate your heart. Look at the world. You know what? I mean, think about it in this way. Look at the world and do the exact opposite. Because they're trying to uncover what God has designed to cover. Because our world lives with a sense of no shame. It concerns me, it's some reality, and it connects this with uh, what goes on, even for the life of my own daughters. If I have some guy who's so glossed over at some point about one of my girls, and I say, why do you want to marry them? And he says, she's so beautiful. I'm like, well, that's going to be going away at some point. (laughs) So then what are you going to do? Because the Proverbs 31.30 woman says, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. If he's not talking to me about her godliness, I'm quite skeptical, skeptical about this young person. What do you want from this relationship? It should be godliness. It has to be something. Are you asking yourself, what often happens to a Christian who wants to live as close to the world as possible? Well, how revealing, really, mom, dad, is too revealing? How tight is too tight? And I think you and I live in a culture where we understand the clothes continue to get tighter. Are you asking yourself, how close can I get? Or what can I wear that would reflect reverence for God and not cause someone to stumble? That ought to be the question that you ask. How can I keep away from worldliness and sensuality in such a way that is pleasing before the Father of heaven? Now, in some sense, when we think about it, we have to remember that this area of modesty extends into so much. And let me speak to this for a moment. Doesn't it? Isn't it supposed to impact how you choose a wedding dress? Is now because the commitment of a covenant between one man and one woman, we can throw it off because we've seen so many reality TV shows about what dress is going to be bought? That we throw out the reality of modesty? Is it the one day in which you want everyone else looking at your pure, chaste, respectable bride filled with godliness and they're They're Googling over the the flesh of your bride? I think not. The reality is, is that it ought to impact what we're doing on that day, ladies. Is it a celebration of covenant? 
between God and the union of two people? Or is this just something that now we play fast and loose based upon fashion and what we've seen in the reality TV shows about the dress? It can't be. When you come to your marriage ceremony, let it be about the worship of the living God and let your dress be picked with that in mind. Because God is looking to be pleased with what you're doing and the union you're making. Ladies, mothers, encourage one another to evaluate your modesty. Mothers, help your daughters learn to dress differently than the world. Now, I know in saying that, this is, this is the byproduct that you have to dress unlike the world too as a mom. I've seen plenty of moms who dress as like they're in high school. If you go to high school, you know exactly what I mean. The reality is, it's not an issue of fashion, it's an issue of modesty. If you don't display it, how will they learn it? In a culture like ours, this is difficult. Young ladies, when your father or mother helps you in this area, don't be angry. Don't sit there and say, ugh, kidding me? Fine, I'll change. And then you hide your stuff under what you wear and then wear what you want later on anyway. Don't be angry because what your parents are doing is a sign of affection and love for you. Because they're concerned about your heart. They're concerned about how the living God gets displayed in the eyes of an ungodly world. It demonstrates that you have parents who actually care about you, by the way. That they are going to tell you Go back and change. <laughs> Men, don't let this escape you. That in a, in a modest culture, or even at times where people are in process of learning these things, that you don't have an equal responsibility to make a covenant with your eyes not to look upon a woman to lust after her. Your lusting is disconnected from what she is wearing because you're doing that all on your own. You're choosing to allow your eyes to feast on the flesh when you, should be, when, when you should be saying, I want godliness. This is my sister in Christ. I need to view her as my sister in Christ. And I'm not gonna treat her or look at her in any other kind of way. That's what Job was doing. Men, commit yourself to that. You may not be able to control what someone else is wearing, but you can, you can, you can be self-controlled in your own heart. It's a model and a fruit of the Spirit. Be self-controlled with your eyes. Fathers, let me say a couple of things. You're going to be accountable to teach the importance of what respectable attire looks like in your home. You will stand before God one day, and you will give an account for how you taught this, and how you conveyed this reality in your life. Yes, even if your children argue, complain, it's still your responsibility while they're under your authority to convey and be mindful of godliness. It's critical. Don't lose hope. And make sure that as you have the man who comes to court your daughter in marriage, that he's more concerned about her godliness than he is about her external beauty. Because that's what God is concerned about. Church, let's work hard at making our church and our lives a reflection 
of an inner heart worship that is pleasing to God. What's this all about? Respectable attire is just a reflection of whether my heart is really reverent before God. And I would call us this morning, as we think living in the culture we live in, it has to impact what we wear and why we wear what we wear. Because God is sovereign over all. And he has the right to tell us to think about these things. And the apostle saw fit to instruct Timothy to make sure the church was reflective of the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your instruction in our lives. Lord, in many occasions when we come up against a very thing that is often a marker of worldliness and sensuality as it continues to spiral, Lord, that we as the body of Christ and as a representation of the community of the redeemed, help us to take these things to heart so that we worship you and you alone. In your name we pray, amen.